you have to ask to take time off any athlete that here's take a break in any way that's just invigorating like I want to like I just get blood in my bones right now just thinking about it like I just hate that thought you've never taken a break it's like when you really know you shouldn't play on an injury but you don't care and you keep playing and you know deep down that you shouldn't that's it's that's what it feels like uh it's like you're running on a broken ankle because it's different it's a different pain I did survive taking a break I finished out the season ended up being like one of our best seasons Welcome to United Conversations for Student-Athletes, a Holinsky's Hope-powered podcast supporting the mental health of student-athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Nicholson. Eradicating the stigma that surrounds mental illness is so important to Holinsky's Hope and to United because if we can get rid of that stigma, then when people are struggling, they will feel like they can reach out for help to family, friends, licensed mental health professional, and there doesn't have to be this sense of shame or weakness around it. And that's really what we're trying to do. That's why I love it when athletes share their story, because when another athlete hears what another athlete has gone through and realizes that they're not alone, they're not the only ones, then that wall of stigma crumbles down. So I am so grateful to all the athletes who are speaking out and sharing their story. In the spring of 2022, unfortunately, we lost several athletes to suicide, and it really shook up the sports world. And in some way, it did perpetuate this conversation and and get so many more people talking about it, but it shouldn't take that. Lindsay Kilpatrick, just graduated from the University of Massachusetts, where she played field hockey. She also was a mathematics major and political science major with an emphasis in public opinion. And she's going to go to graduate school in computational analysis and public policy, which is amazing. And she is a passionate mental health advocate, especially for student athletes, because she struggled in college with depression and anxiety. In the spring of 2022, she wrote a letter to the NCAA, a call to action, if you will, to institute some changes that would better support the mental health of student athletes. That letter got picked up and turned into a petition, and it was signed by loads and loads of people. So the letter is what brought her name to my attention, but her story is what is so important and is going to be so helpful to athletes who are listening that can relate and maybe take that step to make a call when they're struggling because they've heard that somebody else did it and they're not alone. So I'm excited. Super happy to have Lindsay here. So let's get going with today's conversation with Lindsay Kilpatrick. Lindsay, welcome to United. Hi, thank you for having me. So excited to be able to share my story. Well, I'm so excited that you are willing and courageous enough to share your story and have so much passion behind student athlete mental health 
advocacy. It's really cool. Thank you so much. And I love that you guys have this platform. Um, so great to amplify these stories and all the resources that are available. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And you just finished up your degree. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Very exciting. Long four years. Oh my gosh. What an accomplishment, (laughs) right? And in mathematics and political science with an emphasis on uh, public opinion. Yes. I thought that was fascinating. I was like, you can get a degree in public opinion. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love it. I'm so grateful that I could get two majors that are so different and really cater to what I want to do. So that was, that was pretty cool. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, Well, I think that we are as a society so much more savvy now about how, you know, surveys and polls and, you know, research and then research with air quotes can be manipulated to have people believe certain things. And it has some pretty um, telling consequences for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Which is kind of one of the things that brings you to United, not because your story is not important. I mean, I want to highlight that and your story, and it's got some really unique twists and turns that I think so many athletes will relate to. But the reason that I became aware of you and your passion for student athlete mental health is the letter that you wrote to the NCAA. Yeah, I was mainly just so angry after I heard of the third student athlete taking their own life. And I was just thinking like someone has to do something. There has to be a way like what is the funds? Who's getting educated? How many times do they have to get educated? Is it staff? Is it coaches? Like, is it administrators? And then I found out there's no education program at all and was kind of looking at where the funds were going And I was like, I guess I'll write it. (laughs) Why not? It was kind of just fueled off, like feeling like let down. But Mm. I'm not obviously surprised, but I think with like Hidden Opponent and Morgan's message, we've really tried to rally as a student athlete community behind each other. But clearly like a bigger force needs to step in with the resources that they have. So, right. So the, the idea of the letter was to kind of grab the attention and call to action whether it's an agency or people, but someone with resources and a voice. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the times with mental health stuff, people don't really think that there is a solution that you can actually physically see and or implement. So there are things that are just so much more helpful that a lot of universities don't have. Um, And honestly, the education piece was really upsetting I just think regardless, anyone who's around people ages 18 to 22 so long and key development years should be trained to some extent. A lot of the times these people are, the student athletes are closer with coaches than they are with their parents. And it's just such a unique relationship. And it's the first time they're away. And it's just a recipe for disaster in some way. If they're not, they don't really have anyone that they can go to. So I know that when I... I used to volunteer at this camp uh, back home growing up and it was for kids whose anyone in their family had cancer so they could go to the camp for free. And I remember getting an hour training with a social worker before we ever interacted with the kids. And that has completely changed the way that I talk to other people 
Like it's just changed my perspective. And that was like six years ago. And I still think about that when I'm talking to somebody. So to just think that that had that big of an impact and that people that are having such a wider grasp on a group of people don't have to get educated in that, in that light was, was really upsetting to me, honestly. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, have had several conversations uh, where it's kind of been highlighted that coaches have to be CPR trained, Mm -hmm. but how, how many mental health struggles are you going to come across compared to the number of chest compressions you're going to have to do over the course of your career? So to be able to say like, you know, mental health first aid or something, I think is a minimal ask. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And even um, I know at our school personally that our athletic trainers do an amazing job, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, I'm just lucky that I guess this sounds weird, but I guess I'm lucky that I was always injured because I had a good relationship with them. So going to them about mental health stuff is so much easier for me because I already had that bond with them. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who's not going in the training room all the time, that's even scarier to go to someone that you don't know in, in some way. So Um, I feel like that's what made it an easier conversation for me with them. But I, if I wasn't there all the time, I don't think I would have felt as comfortable doing so. Yeah, because it is hard. Right. So I think that brings us to a good place where I can say, Lindsay, what's your story? (laughs) What brings Uh, so much passion (laughs) to athlete mental health? Yeah, I mean... I'll try to, I'll tell you, I'm giving you the short story and it will go on forever. So I'll try my best, but, um, grew up in upstate New York, um, went to Fateville Manlius high school, very competitive, um, sports, academics, everything you had to be doing everything and anything at all times. So I had panic attacks all the time, but so my friends were too. So I didn't think it was weird. I didn't think it was a problem. Like everyone had this pressure on themselves And I saw it in sports too. Like I remember my teammates just not coming to practice because they had a panic attack that day and they were just like, that would happen all the time. So I never really thought that that was bad. And then I came to Lowell and after my freshman year, my coaches like sat me down and they were saying that my perfectionism wasn't allowing me to truly like let go on the field and just play. And I took it as like, a stab to the heart. (laughs) Like I was raised to try to excel in everything. Like this, like, that's what everyone always compliments me on. I'm like, how is this a bad thing? And they were telling me like, I'm putting too much pressure on myself for school. And I'm, I just couldn't even like comprehend that fact because of how my education was in high school. Um, So that was the first time I really started like taking a step back and thinking about mental health. Like I just didn't really think about it. I hadn't thought about mindfulness. I hadn't thought about um, just changing the way that you talk to yourself and and your self-talk. And so it all kind of started on more of my journey to be a better player. So I'm lucky that my coaches noticed something because I don't know what would be now. I'd probably be even more anxious, which I don't even know if that's possible, but um yeah, that was, I'm so grateful that they, they did that. And then it kind of opened the door for me to have like more open and honest conversations with my head coach. Sophomore year, I 
wasn't really like, didn't end up living with my class. And it was like a weird living situation. I was started playing. My friends weren't school was getting harder. And it was one of those situations where it's just naturally going to happen. And I just started being so felt so much more alone, but I didn't tell anybody crying myself to sleep every night. No one knew. And then I would like go on my phone new like take a test like do I have depression like yes you clearly do like <laughs> you're crying yourself to sleep <laughs> right you're struggling your freshman year and your coaches told you this what did you do to try to address that so this was my end of the year meeting in the fall since we're fall sport so in the spring I came back and I had I got the book mind gym which I recommend to anyone ever yes so good And I didn't, like, I just read it, you know, it's such an easy read. You don't really think about it. And then after spring season, we had our end of the year meeting and they were just like, you're a completely different athlete. It's insane. And I did feel that it was easier, but it's also spring it's your off season. So you kind of have that pressure alleviated. And I didn't play a lot my freshman year. And obviously in spring you get more touches and you're playing more. So it was kind of hard to really feel the difference, I guess. But then people started pointing it out to me. And I did realize I just felt that like when I was on the ball, everything was coming so much slower. Like, I just felt like I could see it like in slow motion coming to me where usually that was not how it went. And it just felt like everything was slowed down um, just because I was so mindful and I'd never really thought about that at all. And it's once I kind of saw, like, cause I could really see it, that physical impact because I could see it in my performance and I could see people telling me like that I was just so much different, which is always the craziest thing when people around you notice it. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how that happened. And then I started getting more into reading about stuff like that, which I'd never really known about before. So. Right. And then fast forward to the fall of your sophomore year where you're up at night Googling, do I have depression? Yeah. I, so then I would, always like try to schedule something that I, I know every university has a bunch of different protocols that they have to meet, especially regarding mental health stuff. But one thing that sucked is that you would have to call at 8am to schedule an appointment. You couldn't like book it online or anything, or you could do a walk-in. So every night I would want to do it. And I'd be like, you have to, and I'd like leave a note for myself. Like you have to do it. And I'd wake up in the morning. I'd be like, I'm absolutely not doing that. And then it was just an endless cycle and one time in the spring of my sophomore year, cause this was right before COVID I walked in, like, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I was just so miserable and I walked in and of course I didn't have an appointment. And I like took that as a sign, like I shouldn't do anything. Like, mm. so then, and then COVID happened and we got sent home, but I have a close family member that su- suffers from severe depression. So I didn't really think that it was it was kind of hard to really think that I was struggling when that's my perspective of what it is. And I think a lot of people feel that same way where they don't have crippling depression. They're like, I'm still functioning. I'm still, I'm a division one athlete getting a 4.0. I have friends. Like there's no way that's me, but it is a lot of the time it is yeah. too. And the anxiety um, is an indicator of that too. Right. Exactly. So I was honestly more, I knew I had anxiety And that was more what I was comfortable with. Like the depression, Mm -hmm. I had no idea until my therapist was like, so you're definitely depressed. 
And I remember just being so upset because I was like, I was ready for the anxiety part, but not mm-hmm. this part. Like, but obviously they, they go hand in hand a lot, but, yeah. but yeah. So when I came home for COVID, my family member was like, not in a really good place. So I couldn't like tell my mom because I just was comforting her every night. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't have it in me to tell her, like, she's going to feel like so guilty, even though it's not her fault. But I just, and obviously the whole world is going through chaos. So I just really couldn't tell her until I couldn't not anymore. And I was just like at my breaking point and I hated online school. I couldn't learn. I was like, I was always a 4.0 student couldn't do online school. It just wasn't the same. I couldn't learn that way. And I ended up just like breaking down to her, but I didn't tell her about like the thoughts at night. I didn't tell her about the panic attacks. What I told her was I'm, I need to be able to have better control of my anger on the field. And that's how I got a therapist. That's what I told her. So Mm -hmm. even at that point, I still didn't even tell her what was actually going on. Um, because of how you felt about it or because of fear of how she would respond both but yeah it was definitely like I was already scared myself and I think that was kind of a cop-out way of me to validate not wanting to tell her be like to think that she would be too upset I mean obviously at the end of the day she's my mom and she's going to be there for me no matter what so a lot of it was an own narrative I was painting myself but I think it was a way for me to feel more comfortable with not telling the complete truth. But, and then I I was just thinking like, oh, well then I have my, it doesn't matter. Like as long as I finally get a therapist, like that was like all I needed to do. But it's such a hard step to make. It is so hard. And to have to involve someone else, like a parent, you know, that adds to the difficulty, I think. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. But you did get connected with somebody when you were home for COVID. Yeah. And also I think the difference of being on campus and being able to go in, like my mom would see on insurance. That's why I had to tell her, whereas it would have been so much easier if I was still on campus and they were giving resources, but I was out of state. So I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to use them. So yeah, but I I did end up talking to somebody and then that was really helpful. I remember we had like our intro call on the phone and she was like, just tell me why you want a therapist. And I just unleashed everything and she's like I can hear your anxiety through the phone (laughs) she's like I just asked how your day was going and I can hear that you really need to talk to somebody um but yeah so I talked to her for a while and then that started nearing um like the summer of 2020 so I was coming to my apartment here we weren't sure if we were gonna have a season but things were kind of going back to normal and not normal, but I was seeing my friends again. I was back on campus in my off-campus apartment. So that was like helpful. And then I was seeing my therapist when I was in virtually when I was here. So it was so much better for me to, I could really have space because in the summer, not all my roommates were here. So I felt like I had the security to talk on telehealth. And I know that's like a big thing. Once I had in-person therapy, it was such a game changer for me because I would just be so anxious that someone would hear what I was saying. And then when I'm home with my family, I can't say anything about my family. And then when I'm at school, I can't say anything about my roommates or field hockey. So I I definitely think that's that's a real disadvantage of it is good for some people, but for for others, it, it can be really challenging. Just hard to find that space. Yeah. So many calls in the car or outside. Yeah. 
And that, um, that messes with reception a lot of times. So. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's, oh. it's not easy. And I, and I think also with telehealth, I know for me, if I was having a hard conversation, I would just go on my phone and like, I didn't want to actually, if I didn't want to actually have the conversation, like you can avoid it in a way, whereas in person, it's so much more productive, at least for me, because you can't really like leave the conversation when you want to. Yeah. But yeah, so everything was like pretty fine. I ended up getting on medication. That was when I told my parents like why I was actually in therapy. It worked. Obviously they had some idea. It's not like this was coming out of uh, left field, but yeah, they were completely okay with it. I had talked to a psychiatrist and my therapist and it was a decision that we made together. So I based, I just wanted to let them know. And I knew that it was going to be a, a journey. Like this, they say the same thing with birth control that you have to find the right fit. And I just didn't realize like how it would be for me. And obviously it's going to be different for everyone. And some people get on their first medication and it works amazing. But I think one thing that was hard for me and a lot of student athletes will feel the same way is everything's fluctuating so much that there's never a control period to figure out if it's working or not, not playing your sport, having online classes. Like I, it's really hard to measure when everything's fluctuating of like, you're happy when you're a lot of times I change my medication and then I'd go home and I was so happy. And I'm like, Oh, it's cause shift the meds, but it's because I wasn't stressed and I was with my family and I was with the dogs and, and everything was, everything was peaceful. Um, so that was like one thing that we experienced a lot, but I tried a bunch of different, like I was on one for a while, but that was kind of the, what sent me over the edge in my junior year was obviously medication wasn't completely the issue, but when we came back and we can play it, we could play in January, everyone's like so excited for the first two weeks. And it's like, okay, we can't go in the locker room. There's no, we're getting ready in our apartments and going down. There's no sense of community with the new, with your new teammates. And, and we're still doing online school. And for me, it was just so bad. And I just wasn't going to class. I would just go straight back in my bed after I'd shower and I'd be in my bed for the rest of the day because my meds were just wiping me out on top of, I hadn't known what it was like to be that mentally and physically fatigued in a while because I hadn't had a full week of practice in six or seven months. So um, I think that on top of medication it and that particular medication, it just really fueled my depression. And I was having like panic attacks a lot. No one really knew. I kind of told my parents that was definitely the most I've ever talked to them at college. Like they knew that I was not doing well, but and like your parents can't come to your games because of COVID. So it was, it was not great, but yeah, I was basically warming up for a game and I could tell that like I was about to have a panic attack and that's never happened on the field. Like that's always my safe space. And we were warming up and I thought I like caught my breath a couple times and I ended up getting through warmups and one of my best friends had a torn ACL at the time. So she was on the sideline and I walked over to her and I just like couldn't hold it any longer and had like a full fledged panic attack in front of everybody. Like one of my roommates had to get one of my rescue meds from home and bring it to get me out of it. And then I was even more anxious because it was the first game I wasn't starting. So I was like, Oh my gosh, everyone thinks I'm like 
so selfish and I can't like take not starting. Like clearly I wasn't playing well. Like I was not in a good mental or physical state at all. So it wasn't that that was the issue. And then I would just, my anxiety was working me up that everyone was thinking that and people not understanding it and whatever. And basically just told, told my trainer and my best friend and called my parents. And I was like, I haven't been going to class. I'm absolutely miserable. I don't know what I have to do. Like, I think I have to like drop out. Like that was where I was. And I called my therapist and we talked for a while and then I had to stay at the game and just like went home and cried. (laughs) Like my, my roommates were there for me and just like having conversations with my therapist, my psychiatrist, my parents, my coaches, the administrators, like so much was going on and everyone was kind of hovering over me in a way, which I knew had to happen. But at the same time, it just made you that much more anxious. And I was talking to my parents and they're like, you have to ask to take time off. And I'm like, you can't do that. This is a division one sport. I can't ask to leave. I was like, no, that's not how it works, dad. Like, come on. And he's like, okay, well, I don't really see that there's another option. And I'm like, no, I can do it. I can push through. It's fine. Like the typical athlete mindset, the really harmful athlete mindset. And the next day I met with my coach before they had practice. And I just like further explained like what had been going on previously, what had happened that I can't control when I have a panic attack, that nothing triggered it, that whole thing. And she was like, do you want to go home? And I just lost it. I was like, I can go home. She was like, yes, you could go home. Like you are literally, she's like, I've never seen you like this before. Like you're always like the light of the team. She said that she had noticed that I wasn't like fully myself, but nothing too alarming. But she said once stuff happened, it made so much sense. But I, I ended up getting on a flight later that day and went home and I was out for like a week and a half and I was out of school as well. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I think that this is really fundamental in terms of the athlete struggle with mental health that Mm -hmm. looks a little different in some ways. It's that idea that you, you cannot stop. You never stop. If you stop, you're gone, you're out, you know, you cannot take a break, no days off. Yes. There's a lot of training and push through pain, tough it out. You could do it, all those things. But I think in the moment it from the outside looking in, I think some people would be like, just take a break. And, Mm -hmm. but that is not something that seems like an option. And then if it is like, if an athlete is forced to take a break with an injury, whether it's mental or physical, there's a fear like, okay, well, my spot's not going to be there when I get back. I'm going to be behind. I'm going to be like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I think any athlete that hears take a break in any way that's just invigorating. Like I want to, like, I just get blood in my bones right now. Just thinking about it. Like, I just hate that thought of someone telling me to like, 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 it'll be okay. Like you don't have to win. Like like, stuff like that. That is no one can listen to that as, especially as division one athlete. And like, you've never taken a break. You've probably played two to three sports or you played club all year round. Like 
you never had that time off. And when you did, you didn't really know what to do with yourself. And somebody saying like, take a break. What an athlete can hear oftentimes is, hey, you're just not doing anything for the team and we don't need you here. Right. Yeah. yeah it feels like, okay, so I'm disposable. Like right. you, you will be fine without me. The thing, the thing that when people ask me this is, I know I can't speak for everyone, but I know a lot of people do know where the line is and they know that they're overstepping it. It's like when you really know you shouldn't play on an injury, but you don't care and you keep playing and you know deep down that you shouldn't. That's it's that's what it feels like. Uh, it's like you're running on a broken ankle because you don't want to lose your spot. You don't want to let anyone down. Yeah. And you know that you're, you've shown yourself before that you can push through injuries, that you can push through just adversity. Like you've, that's what you've taught yourself. So when you're facing another issue that's similar, that's how your body and your brain reacts to it because it's all that you know how to do. And I think it's hard to like, for me, I'm like, I really can't play through this when I played through one of the worst injuries ever the year before and played the whole season on it, like in the worst pain of my life. And I'm like, I pushed through that. Why can't I push through this? Um, and that was like hard for me to comprehend too. And I just felt like I wasn't being like, I wasn't sucking it up enough. Like my pain tolerance is high enough to get through this. Like that's kind of the, the self-talk that I was going through at the time. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's different. It's a different pain. And I think most people do know that it is, but it's so much scarier to think about what you lose, um, or you might not lose, but you feel like it's on the line if, if you do step away. Absolutely. And I, you know, as we try to elevate people's perception of mental health, uh, up to the level of physical health, I think it's not that it, feels like you're running on an injury you actually are and Mm -hmm. you know when you don't pay attention and don't take care of a physical injury it can get worse and it's exactly the same for something that you're going through emotionally so yeah so you took a break and everything was okay like that you survived taking a break (laughs) I did survive taking a break it was definitely hard for someone who has clinical anxiety and is suffering from panic disorder to get on their first plane ride post pandemic. (laughs) That was terrifying. Um, but I, so my mom was in, we have a house in Florida and she was in Florida at the time. So it was nice because it really felt like it didn't really feel like I was home because I failed in a way. Like it was nice that I was in a different location that I could kind of like actually relax and focus on myself and like get my medication situation figured out and all of that. And my professors were great. So I was basically out of field hockey and school for, I'd say a week and a half, but field hockey ended up being longer because of COVID protocols. And they told me that I'd be fine. And then some tests didn't come at the right day. So then I missed another game and another like four practices. So But yeah, I thought that it would be really hard. I'm like, I don't even think I can watch the games like when I was gone and I could. And it was I honestly that was like the closure that I needed in a way to watch and just be like, it's okay." like kind of take a step back and be like, see, everyone's like functioning. You're not letting everybody down. Yeah, Yeah. not that they're like functioning without me. Fine. But that you didn't that everyone's still doing fine, but it's not like 
because you're there that they're so much better off like that, that give or take. So yeah. And then it got to a point where I was, cause I just bought a one-way ticket and then we were like, we'll buy the next one whenever. Cause we didn't really know how it was going to be for me. And it was just one day I'm like, if I'm here any longer, it's going to get worse. I was like, now I need to go back. Like, it was just like a click where I was like, I'm teetering at that point where if I'm here any longer then I'll, I won't be able to do it. Like now I, I want to be back on the field. I want to be with my friends. Like I've kind of caught my breath and I'm ready to ease my way back in. Obviously I didn't jump in and that was with the help of COVID as well. I finished out the season ended up being like one of our best seasons. We went to, we upset Stanford in our last game while they had the number one scorer in the country in in the snow and made it to the quarterfinals. And it was just so crazy that a year that was so unconventional and so many people were struggling that we played our best. It was just kind of ironic. But yeah, so and then and then summer happened and then I started to find Morgan's message and then that's how that all kept rolling. And then I just was I was like, if anyone could be the person that I needed, like, why not me? I guess like I couldn't imagine not telling my story and having anyone feel the way that I did. It's the epitome of you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Yeah. And I don't want ever anyone to ever feel like that. And So since I've, so I applied to be an ambassador and then over the summer I worked on like getting it at our school and like reaching out to captains of every team. And then we started, I had the help of um, Caroline Klim, who's on women's lacrosse here. And she helped me be a co-ambassador and it ended up like exploding. And now there's butterflies all over campus. I have it Mm -hmm. on my AirPods case. It's everywhere. But it's so crazy that it's just kind of revolutionized what mental health is at our school in a way. Like thinking about how scared I was my sophomore year to now that it's just technically like a year and a half that the whole narrative has changed so much. And I I just couldn't even imagine telling myself that from my sophomore year. Like it just it's so crazy to see how, how easy it actually is to like once you talk about it, it's such a snowball effect. Yeah. And it's just like exponential growth of openness and communication. And obviously not everything's perfect here. I'm not saying that by any means, but it's just crazy how much support has just rallied through and how many people have said that, or just wanted to get involved, wanted to talk to us, like coaches wanting to talk and share their stories. It's just, it's just been amazing. Well, what happens is when you share your story and you open up about a struggle with mental health, I know that it's okay with you if I share. Right. And, and then, you know, somebody else does it and somebody else does it like just has this ripple effect. That's really cool and really important when we talk about eradicating stigma. Yeah, I, I actually met with our athletic director earlier this week and he was just asking how we can be better as an institution. And it sounds so cliche to be like, just talk about it more, but it's also the easiest thing that you can do is to just make it feel like something that's normal that people go through, like that you can go see the mental health counselor, that your teammate is also seeing the mental health counselor. And I know like me and one of my room or one of my teammates, we tried to make it a thing. This was like 
this was earlier on, but when we would go to therapy, we wouldn't say like, oh, I can't go at that time. Or like, oh, I, I can't make it to dinner. I have something. We'd be like, I have therapy then. And we've definitely changed the narrative on our team. And so many people have therapists now. It's amazing. Right. But um, just like little things like that, you don't realize how much it goes a long way. Just shifting how you talk about little things and not tiptoeing over mental health. Um, you wouldn't say you're, you wouldn't not say you're going to a doctor's appointment. So it's, it's like the same thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I've noticed that more and more on this campus that student athletes will just say, you know, like they'll be walking into my office and they're like, I got to go. I'm in my therapist's office, you know, I'm like, yeah, sweet. You know, (laughs) and my job, because my job is to hold that confidentiality because it's not mine, right? Right. Like your story isn't mine. And so it's never, it it is not going to come from the mental health professional. And it's so great because it doesn't have to, it doesn't need Mm -hmm. to, it needs to come from the student athlete. And it's just so great that that's being shared. Yeah, definitely. And Obviously, at the same time, that doesn't mean that if you are seeing somebody, you have to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think that gets caught up a, a lot of the times. But it's more just that the goal of reducing the stigma is that more people seek help. And I think people get a little convoluted in that area sometimes. But just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean that I want you to go. Or, well, it would be great if you want to, but I'm not going to like force you to tell people that you're seeing a therapist. Like, it's just about people breaking that barrier, which is the hardest thing to do, which is taking the step in your mental health journey, whatever that may be. Well, I'm so, so glad that you did. I'm glad that you took that step. I'm glad that you kept walking that journey too. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that just because I made the first step doesn't mean that everything's butterflies and rainbows. And like right now, like I still, obviously struggle. And I think a lot of the times that gets like, people don't really think about that because I'm talking about it. And I want that narrative to be shared more. Cause I think a lot of the times the stories end where, and then I got a therapist and all is great. And it's like, what about us who like, is something wrong with me that I'm, I'm still struggling and everything's still like wishy-washy. And so I, I think that's, that's important to realize like what it is day to day of someone who's struggling with anxiety and depression and it helps just like hearing more stories of like what it's like day to day also helps your relationships with others and knowing how to talk to you and knowing like if you did something that it's nothing personal, it's all that type of stuff. I think just helps so much when people are talking about it now and that knowing that your story doesn't end once, once you seek a therapist, once you get on medication, once you finally like tell your family that's just the beginning in a way, but it's a much easier process after that. It's not to say that everything's fixed after that moment. Um, Right. Once you get a therapist, that's when the work starts. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like, I heard it described like a a spiral staircase and like you get to a floor and you're in the same place, but at a different level. Yeah. And and I like that analogy, but, and sometimes you just, go backwards and sometimes you fall down those stairs, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but yeah, but it is it is important. I mean, for example, you are about to step into a new chapter of that story, a new chapter mm-hmm. of that journey. And transitions are hard, you know? And there's 
good likelihood that you will handle it swimmingly. And there's also likelihood that you will get support. And Mm -hmm. all of that is great. Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I've heard the transition, so many stories about the transition of after being a college athlete, that those stories have been shared so much because now I'm not going to be shocked when it happens but it's just that's just the greatest thing that we are talking about it that much because that is also tied into mental health and your whole identity is your sport I think a lot of us had I guess kind of the opportunity in a way to redefine who we were when COVID happened and we couldn't play our sport so that's kind of helped in that side of things but I couldn't imagine if I never had that shift in perspective how much harder it would be to transition um, out of college right now yeah well, I, I cannot wait to see what's next for you. And <laughs> I am so grateful to you for your passion, for sharing your story and for being a mental health advocate and um, looking for ways to support student athletes in their journey. Well, thank you so much for wanting to share my, my story. I feel like everyone at my campus has heard it a little bit too many times at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but in the best way. Yes, for sure. Well, I hope that it just gets out there more and more with everything that you're doing. So thank you so much. And I'm sure that our paths will cross again. Yes, I don't doubt it. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Take care. Again, a big thank you to Lindsay Kilpatrick, as well as our producer, Graham Doty, and our editor, Chelsea Battle. If you're struggling at this time, please reach out to family, friends, or licensed mental health professional in your area. And we want to hear from you about topics that you want to hear about. So please reach out to us at info at Let us know what would be helpful for you or your fellow athletes to hear about. Share this podcast with anyone you believe would be helped by it. Subscribe to it, rate it, and review it because that helps other athletes find the podcast. If you would like to know more about Holinsky's Hope, including how to donate to help with all that they're doing to support student athlete mental health and reduce the stigma that surrounds mental illness visit www.holinskyshope.org. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of others and always have hope.